0: Welcome to the Generation 21 podcast with me, Mohammed. And me, Mira. Where we sit down with artists and arts leaders to talk about their journeys into the industry.
1: This week, we sit down with Kiranjeet Kaurverdi to talk about what SAUK si is all about, how she went from making dresses for the royal family to becoming SAUK's si artistic director and keeping up with an impossible schedule of 70 hour weeks. I think our first question for you is What is SAUK? Si what is South
2: Asian Arts UK and what do you do? That's a heavy question.
0: <laughs> we like to start with the easy one yeah, first. <laughs> yeah, i really
2: have started with the easy one. If I had to sum it up, um, in my own words, it's an organisation uh, um, and its overall drive is to preserve Indian classical music and to facilitate contemporary music um, in Britain, in UK, and keep the art form alive and thriving, but at the same time pushing the boundaries about how you could express yourselves mm-hmm. um, through the two art forms that are predominantly that we look after and that's uh, music and dance but the idea of freedom of expression is my personal take on it so in terms
0: of like uh, they like the specific stuff that SA-UK does yeah so what would that be
2: the specific stuff that SA-UK does in the sense of its programs of work yeah so its programs consist of Um, The performance program, which is a series of concerts once a month, ideally, um, in a small intimate space for people to be able to step in and feel that they are comfortable and taking the risk because it's more about experiences. And then the second one is the education program, which is much more about the preserving of the tradition um, and teaching um, young people from the age of four to senior citizens um, the art itself, and that's what they want to learn. So across the whole plethora of Hindustani, Carnatic, and uh, music and dance on that side, and then there's a program which is a special projects area, which really depends on whether an artist comes to us with an idea, and we're helping them to make it realize it, or whether it's a project that we as a team at UK have come up with, um, and we think we want to make it happen. In fact, I freak out the the staff all the time because I'll walk through the door and go, oh, my God, she's caught with another idea. Another idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now yeah. we have, like, and now I've, I've got, like, my pen and paper on standby. All on the standby. Day. When you walk in, it's <laughs> just like...
1: Or some kind of recording device. Some, yeah, some recording yeah. device. It's yeah. like yeah. okay,
0: let's let's write this down and. Yeah. Pop it. I Remember once. I mean, I'm not. I can't say which meeting, obviously. Yeah. I remember being in a meeting with you once, and um, mm. I wasn't. We weren't. It wasn't quite going in the direction that I guess I wanted it to go yeah. in. But then you were coming up with all of this crazy, amazing stuff about, like you know, like <laughs> why we, you know, why we're doing what we're doing, and mm. blah blah blah, and you know, all these lines that we could use in funding bids and stuff. And I was, so I just started writing that down. So it was the minutes of the meeting was just you. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: nice. often actually even say to myself, um, like I'll come in and I'll, I'll, you know, into the office and I've got all these ideas and everything and that. And then once I've said them, they've gone. So people go, oh, you said this. I said, I can't oh. remember what I said type of thing. Always record it. And I've actually been quite tempted about having my mobile phone. So when I'm on the bus or when I'm walking and my ideas are coming up to actually record myself. Otherwise, the ideas are lost because by the time I get into the office and I want to write it down, I'm going, oh, what was that train of thought I was having? When you're designing and creating, it's not a nine to five thing. Mm-hmm. It's when that ideas start to formulate or you've had some sort of thought or you've seen something along the road or you've heard something
0: I guess from that, what I'm getting is that in addition to a lot of the creative as a, you know, as an AD, you've still got to worry about the kind of, you know, the five-year plans and the 10-year plans yeah. and, you know, and all that kind of
2: stuff as well. Mm. When I started with the organization, I joined it as it just really at started at, at the beginning. So it was established in 1997 mm-hmm. in the June of 1997. I joined it in the December of 98. So that particular point, it, it was it was literally a uh, no joke. It was like um projects. and it was like it was so close to your eyes that you had didn't have time to to really think. So it was literally like, oh, we've got this to do, this to do, this to do, this to do. And I was forever like trying to sort of see the horizon and I wasn't seeing it. And it was really, really challenging because I come from a, uh, a background within fashion and design, which I worked in, which is you're working a year and a half in advance of a collection coming out. Oh my gosh. Into the shops. Yeah. So this is like, okay, we've got a performance next week. I've got tech specs and everything. It was like, literally, I'm like, you know, I can't see the horizon. So it took until two to three years before I could see a six-month horizon of what was happening. And we were in a cycle of where, at that particular time, now it's called the National Portfolio Organisations. At that time, it was regular funded organisations. But when I began with the organisation, it was two years of funding that we'd got from the Arts Council. So it was project funding for two years. We then had to fund, you know, we had to submit a fund our funding bid in to then become a regularly funded organisation. So we were part of a portfolio funded by the by the Arts Council and with Leeds City Council. Uh,
0: you said words like a regular funded organisation, yeah. National Portfolio Organisation yeah. and Arts Council. So for someone that doesn't
2: know yeah. what these things are. Um, the government has a pot of money. We pay our taxes. They decide in that pot of money, they're going to divvy that up. Arts Council England is funded through DCMS. That's government grant, and they, and then arts organisations, charities, can then apply to the series of different strands that they might have available. So they have a national portfolio strand, which means it's an organisation that's grant funded, that's secure in order to be able to deliver. But they have a business plan that they've made a case for in order to deliver against whatever the Arts Council ambitions and strategies are, so we match ourselves up to those. Then they have another pot now, the Arts Council now has another pot, which comes from lottery funding. So everyone, please play your lottery tickets um, because <laughs> that money comes then into um, projects that people might want to do and therefore they get a pot out of the lottery money that people play their lottery. So that's one <laughs> pot. Yeah, so that's that's on layman's terms. It's a slice of a pie from the tax office or the lottery. There you go. I hope that was in terms. Did you get it? Find out. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Okay.
1: You said you joined Saw UK in '98. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about how that how that happened? How that happened? The
2: story behind. Behind. Yeah. Okay. The story behind how I ended with Okay. So you have multiple identities. Okay, Mm -hmm. so when I came to the UK as a child of seven, I came from Africa. Um, So I had my uh, my Indian heritage, you know, from that side, but I had my African heritage in an odd way. But I went to a European, British European school because at that time when we came here, I'd grown up pretty much, pretty much under British rule in in Africa. and Independence only being given in 1964. So I was still like that we were still. this was Kenya. This is Kenya, Kenya. Kitalia, a a, a village. Well, if I say village, people won't understand it. They'll think village, Africa, and I'll think mud huts, but actually no, it was, (laughs) the will. Seriously, as soon as you do that, they think mud huts, but no, actually, it was a three bedroom bungalow in a quarter acre of land with a toilet on the inside, okay. When I came to England, I landed at Leeds Bradford Airport, had to walk across the tarmac, in snow, in a nice summer dress that my mother had put me in, oh because obviously I didn't know what the weather was at that time. And it doesn't snow in December now, but in those days it snowed heavy. <laughs> um, black painted shoes, short socks, seven-year-old with a summer dress on feeling really frozen across the tarmac, because Leeds Bradford Airport at that time was not what it is now. And then we ended up in Beeston, which is LS11, mm. in a through-terrace house with a toilet outside and a tin tub. So it's a bit of a culture shock from what I came from to what I ended up here, <laughs> and and so called cool came from the third world and ended up, actually the third world in an odd way. That's it's how I felt. Isn't it? Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Um, growing up over the years, I just felt that there was a brick or something missing in my identity and my foundation. So there was this as I, as the years were going on and you'd explore Shakespeare, you'd explore all the different you know, literature of Western and artists because I did arts degree um, and I did art A-level. So I knew all of those, but the question in my back of my head always used to be, well, who's India's artists or who are who are the poets? Or these were always, not that I know any different now, don't get me wrong, okay. But there was this desire to understand the art and culture of my heritage uh, a touch more. Um, and, that, and then in a strange way, you know, I was in London, my two children, husband, etc., cetera. Um, and then, you know, life happens. So I ended up single parent back in Leeds with two children. Um, and I just happened to pick up the newspaper and there was this tiny little advert about one inch by two inch that said administrator at Leeds Centre for Indian Music and Dance. I thought, oh, <laughs> that's really great. I can do that. that. That fits in with what I've always wanted to do. So then applied for the job and actually wasn't offered it initially. Really? And th- somebody Ooh. else was offered the job. Ah. But then for whatever reason, she then didn't take the job. So then I was called in a second person that they wanted, um, type of thing, and then yeah, took the job. Originally it was only 15 hours a week, but actually we worked probably 70 hours to make happen what we were doing. Right, yeah. So, mm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was when I really couldn't see the Well, Probably couldn't see the tip of my nose, actually, because it was that intense. You know, that was going to be years. one of our
0: other... Cool, uh, There's a question I actually plan to uh-huh. ask you later on, but is it true you work 70-hour weeks? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> More or less, I don't really... Um, and is it true you people, still do that now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably, probably. I don't really um, switch off. Like you do, you know, I've never been able to do nine to five. I've never been a nine to five person. It's, it's because as you have creative ideas, you're always formulating something or other or doing something or making it real. Um, so, yeah, so I probably do. I don't work as 70 hours the way that I used to do when we were literally to the tip of my nose sort of work and that intensity. I'm a little bit more, um, I pull myself back a little bit more and I allow myself, give myself license to stop and do something else in my life. But in those days, it was very much because we were building. And I think it's like anything if you approach, I suppose my approach to Sire is more of like, it's like your own business. And if you don't invest and grow your own business in the early five years, it's not, it's not going to make it. So it was very much personally owned in a way by Darren Beer, And then because I took over in 2000 as program director, even though we had another CEO, it still felt like my baby because I'd mm. been early days and I wanted to grow, grow, grow. And I think now is where I'm getting to the point of like I need to get it to a point and a shape where it's ready for somebody else to take the baton and move on with it. And I'd hate to see 21 years of work go down a plug hole. Mm. So I will make sure everything foundation-wise I can get it to that point and hand it over to a, a good person that will keep it going, hopefully.
1: I feel like that's a really good segue <laughs> into <laughs> Generation 21. Okay. So we are part of this programme, but would you mind talking about where the programme came from, What what your intentions behind it were? Okay, um,
2: Generation 21 was really looking at the young people that I had worked with in the 21 years and seeing where they were as musicians and artists now and looking at the struggle that they were also having. And then every time the top job went out, like in other words, they wanted a an artistic director or a CEO, it wasn't a BME background person, it wasn't somebody from a South Asian background uh, it was nine times out of 10, possibly somebody from a white gr- background. And I'm assuming nine times out of 10, it might have been somebody from a middle class white background that then t- got the job. Right. Um, so I was thinking, well, what's happening here? Why aren't there more people, you know, more people from my own background actually in the arts? But then you look around your family and you realize there aren't Then that many have also going into the arts to work because they're doing all the usual jobs. Um, So that started to then say, no, actually we need to do something really proactive here and we need to create opportunities which are paid opportunities, but I know it needs to be two years because they have to have one year to get to know the cycle of an organisation, its programming cycle, how does it work, all the rest of it, before they could actually give you the second year of their knowledge being reinvested back into you because you're giving something back to them and then how does that come back out to you? But then also added to that came the fact that I didn't, I wanted to empower BME young people to be able to work in any arts organization, not necessarily just South Asian, as much as I was thinking of my own succession planning, um, which came out of when I wrote the business plan in 2012. Um, do you want the story for that one as well? I'm just going. What the business plan? If a bus ran over Kieran, what would happen? Oh, oh yeah, yeah? Th- oh yeah, I've heard I've heard the story
1: of you being very very ill. I was
2: very ill at that time oh, it when was, I was okay, so right. I'd ended up. That was back in 2012. You were. So before 2012, before I had to submit that business plan, right. um, sort of the Christmas January, I ended up with shingles on the side of my face to the point it like I was out of work. I'd never been off from work at Sci-UK. For more, ever, for other than a day here and there, never been off. And then suddenly I was out for six weeks. Wow. And that then sent alarm bells in my head thinking, well, who's going to do what? You know, and that, so then my whole organizational development came into if a bus ran over Kieran, who's going to know what to do? So the business plan had to be written in a way that somebody could pick it up as a Bible and run with it. Mm-hmm. And that then came and that then triggered that whole generation 21 idea started to formulate itself into a shape. Um, And then, you know, came along Barbara, my wonderful colleague, who then is able very well to take whatever's in Kieran's head and put it into a shape that somebody else understands. That is a a skill. A true gift. A true gift. A true (laughs) gift. Yeah. And that's where it comes from. The generation twenty one is twenty one years of working at Sky and just thinking, actually, you're you are in that age range. Both of you are in that sort of age range of those young people, like Seethal, yeah. my daughter, like Gavi, like Jazzdeep, who you know are red were at that just at that right point. So you've just come out of university. What's your job? What's your careers? What are you gonna do? But you want a paid environment. And if you don't have a paid environment in the arts, they're going to end up in the jobs that are offered everywhere else, mm. which are paid. You're going to lose it. The barrier's there. So hence why it had to be a paid internship. had to be for two years. And who knows what's going to happen after two years. Let's see.
0: In terms of arts leadership programs, I didn't see a huge amount of them.
1: Neither did I. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, when I was... I didn't even know that that was a thing, to be it's
1: honest. Same, same. And, like, being from a family that's you know very much immersed in the arts I was so surprised because you just you don't see opportunities like that at Mm. all and when I saw
0: that it was paid I was just like what the hell because yeah so many you're right. even I mean the the balance is shifting now I'm seeing it shift now but certainly a few years ago I mean it was if you wanted to get into the arts if you wanted to get into publishing um if you wanted to get into those kind of careers yeah then unpaid internships were the way to go and Mm -hmm. if you could finance yourself to go through that which either meant that you had um some sort of financial backing from mom and dad or whoever some you know somebody Mm -hmm. like that or it meant that you're you know a lot of people then worked extra jobs and I do know a couple of people that did that kind of stuff um and then went through the unpaid internship route and then they got the job that they wanted yeah many you know some of them had to move to London and whatnot and it's it is a very expensive process and experience to kind of put yourself through and that you're quite right deters a lot of it does it deter deters a huge amount of people huge to kinda of get of in it. Generation twenty one is yeah. it's called as you said, call Generation Twenty One because of the twenty one years that yeah. you of work that you put into PsyUK. Um if you had to give like a, a couple of pieces of advice if you like for people who want to become musicians or want to become arts leaders, what would that be?
2: Have faith, number one, that you can do it you visualize it and make it happen um and then the next thing is never be afraid to make the ask i never imagined i'd be ceo right so this was not we're gonna come on I'll to that but <laughs> we're gonna come on to if that i'm next. advising somebody they're coming out of university and they're there's something passionately driving them inside and it doesn't and i think the pay packet is the one that you don't think about Okay. You think about what it is that is driving you that you want to do. What difference do you want to make? What is it that you want to do? So once you've identified it, just go for it and just pick up the phone to anyone and say, I'm thinking of doing this. Can I come and talk to you about how you got to where you got to? And then just make that happen. I think don't, you know, for me, it is very much about making that ask and going forward and pursuing what you want to do. And you will find people that will help you along the way. You know, if you, if you go already step out and go, I want to do this, but I can't do it. You've already lost it type of thing. So Mm -hmm. I would say get in touch with an organization, have a conversation with them, get to know what they're at, make sure they know you. And once they know you and get to know you, when a job comes up, they're going to think of you first because you already know them. And that, helps you to get foot through the door. So it's more about how do you get your foot through the door? And then don't think necessarily of getting your foot through the door is, oh, I want to be a programmer and that's your foot through the door. If the job is an administrator, which is how I started with UK 15 hours a week as an administrator, get your foot in the door and work your way through it. Take what you learn in one particular organization, focus on what you start to understand what your passion starts to be move yourself and then look you know look you know there's times sometimes there's just time to move on from another organization so look where the opportunities are and push yourself um if you want to work in an environment that you're really passionate about that's 20 percent knowledge figure a way out of getting that 20 percent knowledge and stepping into it and that's my advice i would say wasn't well, in a few lines so i'm sorry <laughs>
0: if I'm honest I didn't expect it to be <laughs> I was
2: trying to put it in a few lines It was really difficult yeah it is difficult because yeah.
0: there's a lot um I mean in the time that we've that me and Mira have, have been yeah. with, there's a lot you want to share there's a lot you want to say it, to yeah. us um so sometimes like having a quick two minute chat is it's not, not a two, minute, it's chat, not two no. minute chat but then I mean this is why so we always, always have a dictaphone <laughs> always. nearby
1: always it's just a must
0: yeah but I mean this is why like two decades of experience in, in this industry working in Leeds it's interesting that it's outside of London as well it's outside like the cultural capital in a way which is a, you know yeah. it's a different conversation I've just made that
2: was one of the drives I want people to know that what happens in London happens in the north I'm very proud as a northerner yeah. as a Yorkshire person oh, tell so me I want done. to make sure that we're on the map for doing equal level with equal respect to what happens in London. You know, and often that comes from the fact that people from India always think that England is London. It's easier to explain London because they understand it rather than go through the whole like actually we're about four hundred miles north of London.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of. Do you remember London? Yeah, you know London. Yeah, we're not from there. Yeah, but if you go two hundred miles up north, we're from a
2: bend,
1: <laughs> <laughs> our own village, our, our own, own village. village.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. Right. Okay. So in that. In those 20 years that you've worked in the industry, Mm. how would you say diversity has changed or not changed?
2: Okay, I still don't think it's changed massively. Um, I think there's some progress that's been made. Um, There's been a a greater level. I can see leaders like uh, Vic in London and, you know, you can see some of them coming up slowly, but it's, you know, it has taken 20 years for that to happen um but i still don't see enough of a change um it's less tick boxy than it used to be um i did used to call out organizations that used to call me and say oh we want to do this thing and originally initially uh, in the early days at so uk it was very like oh yeah let's go do it you know yeah we'll go and do this a great opportunity then after a while i realized actually it was just like oh got us in done this bit of work with them ticked their little box we wouldn't hear about it from again and nine times out of ten oh we haven't got a budget was the other thing that came Mm. up and I got to a point where I just got irritated uh you know um it was like very tokenistic is what I felt it was so then I started to change when I used to get the phone call from an organization to say oh we want to do this project and it was always lastminute.com as well um, and everything. And I just used to be bold and say, is this to tick your diversity box or is this a true engagement you want to do? If it's true engagement, let's talk about it. If it's ticking your box, then let's talk about the money it'll cost you to do it. Because I'd rather be paid properly into the charity and have the money to carry on doing our work properly. Then I know you're ticking a box, you're paying me for it and I'll deliver a great job. If you're in partnership with me, wanting to make a change, an organisational change, then I'll think, then I'll work with you in a very different way. So I just started to become a bit bolder about it, and then the attitude started to change. We're in that time of austerity that's made everyone really think about who are the audiences, who's going to pay for it, who's got the income that's disposable that they're going to come for, um, and as the um, population changes, migrants come. You know, the people that always attended ballet are always going to attend ballet. Um, the fact that there's a black ballet company is amazing, mm. you know. But sad, that it has to be a black ballet company and not a company that has ballet dancers from all backgrounds.
1: Mm.
2: So there's still a lot of work to be done at grassroots level to, to increase demand in order for that to be delivered and in order for that to happen but it's and then it's a risk if it's a theater theater or say a ballet company choosing a a production that is not in their comfort zone that's not going to guarantee their house full it's a risk that they're going to have to take quite calculated so i think there's a lot of development work that needs to be done in order for them to take the risk and the specialist knowledge that they'd have to bring in order to deliver something that's not part of their regular programming that'll guarantee their full house and the income that they need to generate to run so yeah there we go it's, it's still a lot of work to be done but Not it's going in I the think, right direction
0: it's, it's nice to see that it's going it's in.
2: working it's starting to yeah have a ripple effect
0: um and then you moved away for university then you did a degree in fashion and design which, like, if I told my parents I want to do a, a degree in fashion and design, one, because I'm a boy, they'd be like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, but even if my sister wanted to do it, they'd be like, what job is there in that? Yeah. Do you just want to become, like, a designer? Mm. Are you the next Armani? um Kind of thing. Um, that's a lot
2: of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, but it that's, is. like, brown families. This yeah, is like... yeah. It is. It is, actually. And
0: then, so, but you didn't see yourself as becoming artistic director of...
2: No. <laughs> did you? No. So no. how did all of how that happen? How did that all happen? okay so you know as i was growing up my passion was actually geography physical geography that's my real i love nature rivers and volcanoes there's so much to you i just can't keep track (laughs) that's where it that's where it comes from but when i was at when i was at um school um my um subjects were geography art at a level this is um, and um, what was the other one I did? Oh, my crikey. But it was a, cra- yeah, home economics, sort of creative. And then there was this home economics was a serious, heavy subject at a It's food technology now. Food technology, technology now, but it's home did, economics back in my I day. I did that one, actually, at GCSE. Yeah, loved it. Um, type of thing. So in all of that, um, my parents are, I think, an unusual pa- set of parents. For my dad, it was more get a degree. I don't care what it's in. But you should have a degree. And that was it. I went, applied for geography as the main um, degree that I wanted to do. But this is how life in the universe takes you in the direction it's going to take you. And you just have to surrender yourself to it, really. Um, I My mother became really ill at my A-levels. And I didn't get the A-levels at the level I needed to get in order to get to do a degree in geography, physical geography at Liverpool. Okay, So I then ended up having dealt with my mum's thing in a depression for a year where I didn't go out the front gate either. Um, I refused to go anywhere, deal with anyone. I stayed at home, looked after whatever at home, but I wouldn't step out of the world, into the world necessarily. And then slowly mum started to go, well, you know, you do sewing really well (laughs) and you've got your art subject and... Why did you try this and one of my cousins had done Li she had been the first one that had done like a course in fashion design so taking all that together and it was my mom's encouragement to try and get me out of this depression into something I ended up at Leed's College of Art and doing a day Tech which is tech, which is probably some other the diploma now but in those days it was just two years. Course at the um, at the college, um, so I did. Fa- so I ended up in fashion and design as my course, and textiles was my exploration world. So that brought my art world together and what I did at home into a, a singular space, and got me out of the depression I was sitting in at home in um, and everything. So then I that's how the progression then happened. And when I was at college, at the end of the first year, I got 96% wow. in my mark. Blimey. And my dad goes, oh. Uh, and, and there was a conversation about applying for universities, etc. So I said to my dad, oh, what shall I do? You know, I've and, uh, and dad goes, you know what? It's only a first class stamp and a trip to Manchester, just apply. I applied for the degree at Manchester, got in, and Manchester Met, it would have been at that time. And I got in to do this degree after just one year of a foundation. And that was then that's how I ended up in fashion. So so while I finished my degree in fashion and design, I, I got back home and then you're in the brown world. OK, when you're back home. <laughs> so the brown world at back home <coughs> is um OK. So are you going to work or do you want to get married? It was that. Um I had never myself ever had a relationship, so I wasn't gonna go and actually there was no social places for you to meet people. I didn't want to marry out of my culture and heritage. So there and there was no social places for you to meet. So the best thing was like, Yeah, let mum and dad, you know, introduce me to different people. Um so then I gave them an ultimate and just said, Right, either like introduce me and I agree to whoever get married. And then look at what career I do or I get on with a career. And I said, right, you've got until you've got until December 1985 to make this happen. Um, Introduce me. Deadline on yeah. I put a deadline on it because I needed to make a choice of what I was going to do. But in 85, I then managed to get a job at the Harrogate College of Art and Design, teaching general art and design. Uh, one day a week. So that was good money. And working at McDonald's was the other bit that I did to keep money going because my family weren't affluent. So everyone had to earn income. And I've been earning income to support my sister and myself since the age of 13 with a newspaper around five o'clock in the morning in order to financially support my parents and our journey along the way. Um, so yeah, I used to do the early hours, late night, early hours shift at McDonald's, um, and then teach one day a week at Harrogate College of Art and Design, um, and then you know got introduced, got married in the August of 1986, ended up in London, um, and then worked at a haute couture house making clothes for a very rich. Yeah, uh, Lady Sarah Armstrong, Princess Anne. There were the clothes that we were really. Cutting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, yeah. There's so much. There's I so just much can Yeah, so oh, I so, just made clothes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so <laughs> it was <laughs> a sweatshop <laughs> upstairs with a very lovely studios downstairs where the royalty would come to have their clothes, you know, measured. And first couple of days was like, I don't know how I actually stayed in their job. It's well, I, how they kept me, should I say? Because this Italian pattern cutter gave me this cocktail dress to cut in organza. And it was like lots and lots of circles that were then just going to be joined together to make this lovely cocktail dress. Anyway, she gave it to me and I did what I was taught at university to do, which was layer it up, put the pattern pieces on, cut it out. I cut it and she then blew up in like, and she was a big Italian lady and... Oh, bah, 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 bah. She's like that, shouting away at me, and I felt so small. And I already couldn't reach the pattern cutting table because it was already quite high, and I used to have to climb up to cut. <laughs>
0: things. What was wrong with the dress?
2: It. I had not cut the grain off the edge. I had cut this massive number of circles out of this organza, which was <laughs> completely wrong. So it's so expensive when your organza is like thirty quid a meter.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> so like.
2: Yeah, anyway, she did end up keeping me at the end of it. Having dressed me down in this hole, I felt so small. So I was getting like 90 quid a week pay packet in those days. So 1986 this is. But eventually I won her round and she used to make me, you know, carbonaras on the weekend when we had to work on weekends when the collection had to be on the catwalk in the October show. But that's where I learned all of the areas of like one and a half years planning in advance was because i was working in these collections and how you were designing a collection that was going out for ready to wear in october of one year you'd be designing the spring summer for a year and a half ahead sort of thing um yeah a concert for me is like a catwalk fashion show light sound atmosphere that thing yeah so that's where it all comes from into this one job those experiences and uh,
0: it was called the Leeds Centre of
2: Indian Music American and Dance. Trying to say that on the
0: phone. It just really rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't
2: it? And it got confused with Leeds College of Music. Oh. Oh, Elcom. So you'd be saying, "Hello, LCIMD," and then they're going, <laughs> L-C-I-M-D. L-C-I-M-D. "LCIMD." Yeah. So rather than say UK now, it was LCIMD in oh. those days.
0: So they just think that you're saying Leeds College of Music. Yeah. Then. Yeah.
2: And then. We set the task of rebranding and changing the name and everything. And that was Darren Beer sat on a train one day, rings me up on his way back from London. I've got it, let's call it SAR, South Asian Arts. First note of music, Mm -hmm. SAR. And I said, okay, let's stick a UK on the end of it with our ambition. So lowercase UK came onto it. So
0: this is where you get the, I'm calling you from a train and I've got an idea. Yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's the one. Yeah, there you go. That was my whole journey into the world of the arts. But with parents that supported it, they moved to England from Africa when independence took place for our education. And for them, they wanted us to have a British degree. That was it. Didn't matter the subject.
1: What music is currently
2: speaking to you right now? What are you listening to? What am I listening to? Oh my goodness. Um, It's a range. Um so I listen to what I call cleaning music, um, in the house during the day and that'll be Bob Marley. Nice.
0: Nice, uh, I can see that coming. Yeah, <laughs> no, not, not see at all. That one and, that kind of thing.
2: and then I've um had moments of sheer anger recently. That's meatloaf. Because that makes me feel good. A bit of heavy rock always is good. To get Fascinating that I I side of me. T- yeah. Music taste. And that um and then there's the classical chill that I play, which Rakeshirasia yeah. and the flute and Sorot, then the classical world, which I really, really enjoy. But I particularly enjoy listening to um Saskia Rao, because I love the cello as an instrument. Yeah. And I love the sarangi. They're the two that I, I would call my heart instruments. Um, and then my other main love is uh, mainly um that are sung in classical uh, Rags and Keith. Um, because that's my spiritual side. Um and I'm not what I call um what people would describe me as a Sikh in the sense of practising by faith. I'm spiritually very aware, so I'll listen to anything that um, that gives me that spiritual awakeness within myself, and the only other music I listen to, which I really, really enjoy, is the Navajo Indians. I really enjoy oh. their music, and then my number one um, feel good song, "There Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Oh, I yeah, love that song. <laughs> A classic,
1: if there. Yeah, uh, yeah, that one's an epic one song. to
2: play when you feel like the word's trodden you down. You put that one on, and you are like. There ain't no mountain high enough that's gonna take anything away from me.
0: <laughs> I thought I had a very music taste because I listen to a lot of Western classical and like yeah. opera and stuff, but I also love like. That'd have to be Mozart and Marquez then.
2: Oh. Or Beethoven's, yeah. Beethoven's
0: my like. Yeah. He's he's my favorite composer. Yeah. He's like Man's my number Mozart. one. Yeah. But recently I've been listening to the soundtrack to Ratatouille. Oh, film, which is
2: actually epic! It's an epic movie. I it love is. it. I love... It is a good movie. That film is fantastic
0: because I love cooking and yeah. To see like... I mean, I'm not comparing myself to a rat. No, but, but like... no,
2: no, but no, but the whole idea, yeah, no, it's that's just... amazing. No, I do love that. It's great. I love
0: that. Yeah. So that's, that's that's been on on my radar. That's um, what about you? Yeah, what about you?
1: <laughs> doing work and trying to calm my mind while I'm doing my work. Is pretty much always Niladri. Yeah. Niladri Kumar on Sitar. Yeah. Uh, the if album is just my absolute yeah. favourite. I love him. I think yeah. he's amazing.
2: <laughs> amazing. Yeah. yeah. The other person I listened to quite a lot to that, funnily enough, is Giuliano. Ragdan Judy oh. by Giuliano oh, yeah, yeah. is another level. Um and other than that, just the Thampara droning in the background is lovely.
0: That sounds interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: Total Serenity, and that's like the simplest you can go. Yeah, so that's, that's lovely.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much it's for been... agreeing to be on this episode. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Enjoyed a... it. Oh, it's been it's been a fun. I mean, we've learnt. I mean, I thought I, I mean, I not knew you, but I felt like I knew a lot about you already. Yeah. But I've learned like so haven't even scratched much more.
1: <laughs> not even scratched the surface.
0: It's like Bob Marley and you have dresses for <laughs> Princess Anne. Like what yeah. the hell? <laughs> like I did not Epic know any of these.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Generation 21 podcast with me, Mira,
0: And me, Mohammed. Be sure to check out the podcast page on our website, www.saa-uk.org, for all episodes, episode notes, including our Spotify playlist, where we've compiled all the pieces of music that we have been listening to with our guests. And trust me, you're going to want to hear that eclectic collection.
1: You can find more from Generation 21 on your favourite podcast apps and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook with the handle at South Asian Arts UK.
0: See you in our next episode.
1: Bye.